Uh, we start a new sermon series today under the title of Famous Old Testament Stories. And uh, I got the first one, uh, and I want to talk about Noah uh, today. Uh, but before I do that, let me read you uh, the scripture from Genesis uh, chapter 9 and from verse 8 through to verse 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and earth. You know, that's one of those verses in Scripture that just kind of makes your heart sing a bit. You know, I mean, it's just a simple verse, but I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Just, uh, and just to there, and I thank God uh, for this passage from Scripture. So a new series, uh, starting with, with our friend Noah. I need to acknowledge Bill Meeker's book. Uh, in the beginning, God. If you haven't read it, go read it because it's something special. Uh, and uh, some of the insights that Bill gave in, in that book I found really, really helpful. And so, having said that, let's just give, give some background uh, to this thing. You know, the flood uh, is primarily the biblical story of faith, Noah's faith and obedience to God. Because you see, Noah loved God and tried to live in obedience to God and also tried to be an example of godly living. I mean, who else would get the crazy instruction to build an ark uh, and just do it? And I know some of you have seen the movie. What's his name? Morgan Freeman, whatever. But, but it's much more than that, you know. The story of Noah and the ark is the story of Noah's faith and obedience to God in spite of what appears to be uh, a terrible situation. Noah loved God and tried to live in obedience to God and tried to be an example of godly living. And that same challenge, I think, is there for all of us. We need to try to live in obedience to God and try to set an example of what godly living is about. And for all of us, the rainbow, the rainbow is also the symbol or symbolic 
of the many colors or facets of God's love. And the most fascinating thing of all is because, because of that, God said never again, never again will he wipe out his people, will he destroy his creation. And the rainbow will always be a sign of God's love for you and for me and for the many colors of God's love. And I know that for those of you who are sitting here have been in Emmaus, when we talk about the colors of God's love, you know exactly uh, what I'm talking about. And if you haven't been to Emmaus, this is a commercial. Uh, you would do well to do it. And so in the end, the whole story of Noah and the ark is actually a story of obedience and forgiveness and grace. And the bottom line of the whole thing is that God hates sin. Bottom line is that sin breaks God's heart. And that sin was and is real. And sin puts a barrier between us and God, always. And between us and others. And we need to understand that for God forgives us when we confess. And so there are a few things that emerge uh, from this account, uh, for me anyway. But let's not forget the bottom line. The bottom line is that God loves us, and never again will he repeat uh, what he did with a flood. God will never wipe out his creation again. He had to find another way. He had to do something that would deal with our sin in such a way that he didn't drown out his whole creation. And this other way that God brought to be was the process of redemption for each and every one of us that, was, that culminates in the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in many senses, the Noah's Ark was a precursor to the, to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. This was God's re reply when he said, I will never drown out the world again. I will find another way. He has the way. He has my son. He has Jesus. And so the, the account of Noah and his ark, in a sense, is really a story of amazing grace. Of God still prepared to forgive us and offer us a way back to him through faith in Jesus Christ. A forgiveness that cost Jesus his life but shows us a way forward, each and every one of us. And so have you noticed that we all need signs in our lives? Signs to show us a way to go. Signs to show us a way forward. One of the first of God's many, many signs to his people was the rainbow after the flood. This will be a sign for you. We read it. A sign that God keeps his promise Life is full of signs if we will look for them and see them. New shoots of green in the garden in springtime. We've just seen it in the last couple of months. Our dead, dead world, our dead, dead creation around us. Suddenly there's green. Suddenly there's signs of new life everywhere we look. Signs of life post-COVID. It might take a while, folks, but God will never wipe out his people again. And we will get through COVID-19. 
How, I'm not quite sure, but we will. That I do know for sure. Already we see the signs of post-COVID. Already things are changing and some of the infection rates are diminishing. And if only people would be a little bit more obedient, they would diminish a whole lot faster. Witness the people in Ireland and England right at the moment. But we're, we're surrounded by signs, folks. Surrounded by signs. The sign on a supermarket door that says push. If that doesn't work, pull. The sign on the in a building above a malfunctioning water fountain. Old faceful. Ah, that was too subtle for you. Old faceful. The sign in a shopping mall. Ears pierced while you wait. Is there any other way to get your ears pierced? <laughs> and what about the traffic signs? I've never seen a traffic sign that says U-turns allowed. Have you? Never seen one that says you can do a U-turn here. All I ever see is the one that says no U-turns. But in the Bible, in the Bible, U-turns are encouraged. And I want to suspect that every one of us in this way, in this building today, one way or another, have done a U-turn in terms of our lifestyle somewhere down the line and done a U-turn and tried to do things differently. Because all of the Gospels of Jesus Christ is about U-turns. The whole of the Bible, in essence, is about God's people doing U-turns. Now, I think I'm on thin ice. But maybe some of us, maybe all of us, need to make some U-turns. Maybe we've become a bit lukewarm about our faith. Maybe we're kind of coasting along and seeing, taking life as it comes. The story of Noah is about God saying to us, do something. When all else fails, do something. Do something. Turn around. Go home. Come back. Do whatever, but do something. Complacency probably is our greatest enemy in life. You know, when in doubt, do something. Complacency means that we're doing nothing. The story of Noah and the ark is actually a call away from complacency. Well, Noah could have said, we finished, it's done for, have a nice life. And it wasn't. It was a call. Noah's ark was a call to Noah and all of God's people to come back to obedience and grace. To bring God into our lives or to bring God back into our lives. And I know that I'm talking to each and every one of us who have to do this one way or another. I think maybe controversially that the COVID pandemic has had the effect of forcing us all into a place of reflection and into a review of our lives and our lifestyles. The people that I'm speaking to are speaking in terms of of simplifying their lives. They've discovered that in lockdown, you can simplify and you can simplify. In fact, perhaps a, a, a subtitle for this sermon could be The Power of Obedience and Grace. In other words, we need to bring God back into all of our lives to experience His grace. We need another kind of a 
experience of, or we need another kind of obedience rather, another kind of obedience of grace and faith, not just our own. We need obedience to the call of Jesus on our lives. And he does and he is calling each and every one of us to do something with our lives. Real life, real life is a cooperative effort between God and us. I can't do life by myself. I need God to do life with me. God can't make a difference in his world unless he uses me, you, every one of us together to make a difference. In other words, we must bring God, we, we have to bring God into ruined lives. We have to bring God back into our struggle. We have to say yes to Jesus. And turn back to his amazing grace. Because we need him. And we need God. Some of, most of the messages I've heard from people through this lockdown have been people reflecting on how much we need God in our lives. And what a difference he's made in so many lives. We call it grace. If you use grace as an acronym, you know what it stands for? God's redemption at Christ's expense. Grace. God's redemption at Christ's expense. Grace is this immense and undeserved love that God has for each one of us. In spite of who we are and what we've got up to. And we have a choice. We can accept the grace of God or we can reject it. That's our choice. But I want to say this, that the grace of God and our faith, simple as it is, is what gives us life. It's what gives us life. I want you to hear this, please, that your salvation and mine is already in place. Noah's Ark, amongst a myriad of other godly activities, ultimately coupled with Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, hammers this message home to us. Your salvation and mine is already in place. Noah's Ark and a myriad of other godly activities, coupled with Jesus' death on the cross, hammers home the message for us. You see, it's not what we do. It's what God has done through Noah and a myriad of others, and what Christ has done on the cross that makes us whole. So in a sense, the whole story of Noah and the ark is one of the great myriad of godly stories that when we really listen to it, makes us whole. Makes us whole. And now all we have to do is to surrender, to hand it over, to believe. All we need to do is claim. We need to claim this grace, this forgiveness, this love, this healing, this power. It's ours for the asking in this moment, like that. All we need to do is claim it. And when we do this, we appropriate God's justifying love for us, just as if I'd never sinned. In other words, when we say yes to Jesus, we're set free from the ugliness and the shame and the fear and the anger and COVID and a few other things. And when we say yes to Jesus, the power that God unleashed via Noah and the flood comes to fruition in our own lives. It's all part of the same story. 
just another chapter. The power of God, the power of grace, and our faith equals freedom and release and forgiveness and power and joy and transformation. Transformation. The story is told of this rather rough and tough boiky uh, that uh, used to come staggering into his home uh, every afternoon having stopped by at the local watering hole and had a couple of jugs too many. Uh, would arrive home dirty and disheveled, uh, three sheets to the wind, uh, bash his way in the back door and say, woman, where's my supper? And this went on and on and on. And then one day, he decided that he was being a bit rough on her. So he went for counseling. And in the middle of the counseling, the, the counselor said to him, there's one thing you've got to do. You've got to change the way you, you're living. You've got to make some changes here. Because right now, you are just destroying yourself and your wife. So what I suggest you do is that you do something, but change it for the better. So he decided that he would. So instead of going to the pub, uh, he came home early and he had a bath and he had a shave and he got dressed in some nice clothes and uh, put on some aftershave and, uh, and his wife arrived home and he opened the door to greet her and she took one look at him and she fainted. And when she came to, she says, what happened? He says, what do you mean? She says, all these years you've been thundering in the back door, pushing me around, claiming that you're a real rough, and now you come home. What happened? <laughs> and he said, it's because I love you. It's because I love you. And something changed. Something changed. But in the process, she also said to him, you know what? Every day you crash in the back door, dirty, disheveled, half cut, sit in the lounge, shouting for your supper. And now you come home looking like this. I thought you were drunk. <laughs> so how about we call him the God of the second chance? How about we call him the God of the second chance and the third and the fourth and the fifth? Because you see, if we want to move our lives from ruin to grace and faith, we have to say yes to what, Jesus, to what God did and what he started with Noah and his ark. Because we're part of the story. We have to say yes to Jesus in order to move from the flood of struggle to the new life of faith and obedience. Optimism begins with the realization that we need new beginnings. And it's never too late. The definition of a good life is defined very, very differently by God. God doesn't measure good life in terms of an absence of struggle, of struggle a huge bank account, everything that opens and shuts. God does not measure a good life in terms of popularity or success or achievement. 
God measures a good life in terms of faithfulness and perseverance and determination, even in the face of COVID-19. And one day we all have to put all this into practice. Did you know that I'm a cancer survivor? Not a lot of people know this story because it's an old one. But I'm a cancer survivor. Had a little spot on my back that wouldn't heal. I went to see the doctor who sent me to a dermatologist who sent me to a surgeon. And they did an excision. And it came back cancerous. So they did a further incision. And then they took out a lymph node under my armpit. And they did all the good surgical things. And here I am. Here I am. And I'm healed. And I'm whole. And there's only one thing that brought me here. And that was Jesus Christ. That was Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean uh, that every cancer sufferer will be healed. But in my context, it worked. And I think you've all got stories to tell. Might not be about cancer. But I've had to work as hard as anybody, folks. I've had to work as hard as anybody to be where I am today. All I had to do was hang on to Jesus. All I had to do was hang on to Jesus. How about you? We have to hang on to love. We have to hang on to the God of the second chance. We've got to hang on to forgiveness that wipes the slate clean, that forgets absolutely. A forgiveness that sets our hearts free. We have to hang on to power, power to cope, power to go on, power to forgive, to forget, to deal with our circumstances, power to hope, to understand, to overcome. We've got to hang on to power, folks. It's not my power, it's God's power working in me and with me. And so just to close, I want to say we must decide, we must decide to claim the reality of the outcome of the Noah story. Because the outcome of the Noah story is sitting here this morning. We must decide to personally accept God's gift of love. That he showed Noah and, and his descendants of which we are probably one. We must decide to accept this gift of forgiveness and grace and love and power. We must decide to say, oh God, the rest of my life belongs to you. The God of the second chance. And the third and the fourth. And the infinite. The power of the flood. The power of grace and faith. Together is determined the moment we say yes. To God. Or say yes again. The power of the flood. The power of grace and faith together. Is determined. The moment we say yes. To Jesus. And after that. 
all things are possible. Will we? Will we say yes? Have we said yes? Will we repeat it? Will we do it now? No better time. Let's pray a moment. Oh God, our Father, the bottom line is that we need you desperately. The bottom line is that no matter where we are, where we've come from, where we're going, we need you to be part of our journey. We need you to speak healing and wholeness and renewal and faith and hope and encouragement into our lives. We need the faith of Noah who said yes to you and built an ark. We need to simply say yes. And Father, I pray for each and every one in this room today that by your Holy Spirit and in your grace you will reach out and touch each one. Father, I can't presume to know what is in every heart in this place. But I do know that you know. And I do know that you are more than willing and able to speak healing and wholeness and renewal and blessing and hope into each and every life. Father, may it be that in a moment, this moment, we find it in our hearts to say yes to you. And allow you to take us where you want us to be. And have the faith to simply put our hand in your hand. And go where you lead us. So here, here we are, O oh God. Here I am. Take me. Take us. Use us. Bless us to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.